0: virtues. It's almost disappeared. Week one, if this is your first time here, want to welcome you. It's great to have you. If you're a guest, really, really, really glad you're here. But this, through this whole series, we've been talking about virtues that have been forgotten in our society today. Week one, we talked about, anybody remember what Chris talked about first week? Honor. Honor. Talked about honor. Something's been completely lost. Then week two, we talked about something that's been lost as well. Purity. Who could forget? right? Chris and Viviana. Awkward, but incredible. Okay. Incredible content really helped us. Let's, let's, let's open the closet and talk about things that we never talk about, but we need to talk about. And today we're going to talk about, it's extremely timely. And because it's so important, we're taking two weeks. So we've got part one of this virtue and part two next week. Mike Mead's going to do part two. And what we're going to talk about in in this series is, or, or today is Forgotten Virtues, and we're going to talk about gratitude. Gratitude. Because it's almost completely disappeared if you think about our society and, and how grateful. And I'll give you an example. A, a, a professor in one of the premier Boston colleges up there in the Northeast, he got together with his, his graduating class, and there were so many of them, they were filled in auditorium. And they were in this auditorium, and all these bright young future graduates were there. And he says, guys, before you go and you graduate and leave, I got something I want to share with you. The workforce out there, they've come up with a word that defines you. Okay. And this is how they see you and your generation. And the word I'm going to give you a hint. It begins with E. What do you think that word is? And so he asked, he asked the class and he said, and they started coming out with names and they said, energetic, energetic, you know, excellent, experts, you know, all these E words, you know, and, and, and exceptional and all these different words that they came out with E and he says, none of those. You know what the majority of the workforce thinks about your generation? You are the generation that is what we would call entitled, entitled. And then there was a quietness in the room. And this is what Time Magazine came out earlier this year to describe this generation. They're called the millennials. right? We looked at this a while back, if you remember a series that we did. But it says here on the front, millennials are lazy, entitled narcissists who live their lives with their parents. Why they will save us. You know, you think about that. But before we get too down on the millennials, right, how did they get there? You know, how did they become this this generation? And the truth of the matter is, parents of that generation, guess who did it? We did. We we trained them. We discipled them. We taught them. They modeled us. They followed us in this, this age of entitlement. You know, and you think about it. And, and I remember a time when I was a kid, when you, uh, when you participated in a competition, I lived a few blocks away from the university track field, tra- track and field. And, you know, for a season, they'd have track meets every weekend. You know, I was like 10. And this was a big deal in our city because all the kids would show up and we would, we would have 100-yard dashes, 50-yard dashes and all kinds of things. And my stomach would churn because it was, you know, all these parents and everybody's there. But guess who got ribbons for participating in these track meets? The ones who won and the ones who placed and nobody else. You know, today when there's a track meet or there's any kind of thing, who do they give trophies and ribbons to? Everybody. Oh, Johnny, you came in last place and you, you were so slow and we're so happy and proud of you because you came in dead last and you're the slowest kid on the field. <laughs> right? And that's the way it is. You know, so kids, you know, they don't have to do anything. They just have to show up and they get a trophy. And so that creates a mentality. Or you get parents, and again, not to get too hard on these kids, but who did it? Who's responsible? But then you've got these kids that are overprotected. And I believe one of the reasons why these kids are the way they are, because parents in my generation, a lot of us, have worked too hard and, and, and a lot of times get divorced because the implosion of the home, because the focus is off. And so what do parents try to do for these kids? They try to make up for it and balance it out and say, well, I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to give you anything and everything before it's time. And then there's also this overprotective parent. I don't know about you. When you were a kid, when I was a kid, we could pile in, you know, like 15 of us in the back of a pickup truck and we'd drive 50 miles an hour down the road. You know, or or those four-door sedans. And they had this, this, this platform in the back behind the back seat. And you could lay down back there cause there was enough space for you to lay down. And so that's what we would do as kids. When you were tired, you'd go back to that back flat area above the back seats and you just lie there driving 60, 70 miles an hour down the freeway. And now, you know, they strap you in like you're a NASCAR driver. You gotta have a helmet. These kids, they've got straps and and, and hooks and all these things and, and they're like they can't even move, you know. They're just and that's what we do to our kids. Right? Today. And it's an overprotection. You know, or a kid that rides his bike, you know, when I rode a bike, you know, be lucky if we had two wheels and it worked and and things, but helmet? Helmet on a bike? Are you kidding? No, you gotta let the air flow through your hair. But now it's illegal. Kids can't, they can't go out. They gotta have the, the knee pads and the, 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 the elbow pads and you have gotta have a helmet. And, and parents are so, so overprotective with their kids. You know, and I believe there's value to it, but think about what that does to the kid. When you give them everything they want and you overprotect them, what's that do to them? You have it right here. It's an age of entitlement. And we live in an age of entitlement. I've bashed on the kids a lot, but let's talk about all of us. It's a lost, forgotten virtue of gratitude. And so to think about this, what's the opposite of entitlement? The opposite of entitlement is gratitude. Gratitude. And so I want to ask you today, are you grateful? And don't be too quick to say, yeah, I'm grateful. Because I can, after going through this lesson series today and and, and thinking about this lesson, there there are huge holes in my life where I'm not grateful. Huge holes. And so that's why we need to talk about it. Let me ask you a question. If you had an opportunity to hang out with somebody that you don't know and you had to choose from category A or category B, category A is a grateful person, and then category B is a person that's not so grateful, who would you want to hang out with? I mean, do you want to hang around with a complainer and a griper and a whiner? Somebody's got an edge? Something wrong with everything? The question is, who do you want to be? And the, the, the conditioning that's gone into our society is you, you and I, in most situations, are category B people, ungrateful, and we are entitled. Because we live in an age, there has never been a time like this in our history where we've been given so much. We are overloaded with abundance. There's never been a time like this where we've had so much. And so we're gonna look at a passage of scripture that talks about this. This is an event where Jesus was, was doing his ministry. And so in Luke 17, verse 11, we're gonna look at this situation. And here he is on the move in his ministry. Verse eleven it says, "Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along with along the border between Samaria and Galilee, and as he was going to a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. Ten men. And let me give you a little bit of background about leprosy. It's a horrific. It's almost it's almost gone from our society and our world today, but at this time it was a lot more prevalent." It's a disease that attacks your nerve endings. It's incredibly painful. They they would have sores on their body that would would bubble up. And many times, their, their nerve endings, it would attack their nerve endings, so you had the pain, but then after the pain would come the numbness and you'd lose sensitivity in your extremities, in your hands and in your feet, and then all other extremities. So typically what would happen is, people that lost their sensitivity would scratch their nose off and not even know it. So they'd have a deformed nose, or they walk through and, 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 and step on a nail and not know it or, or break their toe and not know it. Walk on something that they wouldn't know and then they, they would ruin their hands. And so typically lepers lose their fingers, lose their toes, and have nubs and have deformities. And Not only that, that's the physical part, but there was an emotional part during this time. Because of what the Old Testament said in Leviticus 13, that if you had leprosy, you could not, you had to be pushed away or set apart from the rest of the community because of the fear of it being contagious, that you could spread the disease. So you had to live separate. You had to be in isolation. And these guys were together because these lepers would come together and form their their group, their family, or their, their crew. But if you were a leper and you wanted to walk in, say, to a marketplace, you had to scream out and yell, unclean, unclean, unclean to let everybody know you're coming. Imagine the emotional effect of living that kind of life. They couldn't see their family, only from a distance. Typically, they lost everything and just would survive. And so here they come and they see Jesus, maybe across the road, Jesus is walking and they see Jesus and they hear and they find out that Jesus is healing people that there's a small possibility that this man, they've heard about him, that he has healed sick people. So you can imagine, and look what, look what happens here as we read on in the story. In verse 13, they stood at a distance, and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Will you give us a second chance, a second lot in life? This would, What Jesus represented to them was a lottery ticket to a new lease on life. And look what happened. When he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And they went, and they were, what? Cleansed. This was, a, this was an incredible, all ten of them, an incredible miracle. Imagine what this means. They got their health back. They got everything back. They're completely clean. They can go back home and be with their children. They can hold their daughter. They can hold their son. They can kiss and hold their wife. They can can hug their brothers and sisters. This was a complete, complete change in their life. No longer did they have to fear the marketplace. They could go and be a part of a family and a community. Wow. They just won the lottery. And as this happened, verse 15, one of them, of the ten, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back. Praising God in a loud voice, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Samaritan means non-religious. If you're a guest here today and you don't go to church very much, you're a Samaritan. And they had a stereotype. It doesn't mean you're bad. doesn't mean anything. It's just that's, that's what that means. That's what that word. They were people that were on the outskirts. Not apart. Not, you know, accepted in the, quote, religion. Now, we don't look at things that way, but we're glad you're here. But that's the way it was then. He wasn't a religious guy. But of the ten, of the ten, who came back and gave thanks. So the odds are against being grateful. In our society today, it's the same. And this, this is typical. This, you could do it today. In our society today, if somebody gets a blessing, if somebody gets a healing, if somebody gets something huge, significant, what do they do with it? They go on their way. Now, you don't want to be too hard on the other nine because, man, you got healed. Where are you going to go? Where would you go if you got healed? I'd go home. Wouldn't you go home? Man, I would jump and shout and I'd go home and I'd kiss my wife and I would, I would hug my children and, and, and I, would, I would go to the neighbors and say, look, look, I'm clean. I'm, I'm back. We can be friends again. We can be a community. I can go to work. I can have my life back. So you can't be too hard on the nine, but look at what Jesus said. Jesus asked, as the guy came back and threw himself at Jesus' feet, he said, he said whoa, whoa, whoa. Were there not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Verse 18, has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And so I want to ask you the question, and this is the overhanging question today. This is the takeaway. Stop, you know, if you're doing something else, just, just hear me for this one point. I want to ask you a question Will you be the one? Of the ten, of all the people out there, of, the, of the, the millions, the billions of people in our society, will you be the one? As Jesus says, of all these guys that were cleansed, their whole lives were changed. There was only one. Now, God's done incredible things among us, right? Even if, even if you're a guest here today, has God not done something in your life at one time? You may not recognize it, but I I guarantee you he has. What do you have on your back? you got clothes, food, health, strength, money in your wallet, more than likely money in your bank account. You've got most of us a job. There's a lot lot of great things. We live in the most prosperous time of our history. We've got a lot. But with all that, are you the one? Will you be the one? And as we start thinking about Thanksgiving, right, coming up on Thanksgiving, will you be the one that's really grateful? And this guy that went, he, he did something, he went back and he praised God. What does the word praise mean if you don't, if you don't know? It means to give adoration, to give thanks, to express a heartfelt praise. Gratitude for what you have received. Would that? Would you say that describes your life? That you walk around praising? And I got. I got to make a confession. As I was preparing this lesson, I started to evaluate my my life. And the truth of the matter is, I take a lot for granted, and I am ungrateful. You know not too long ago I was in a Starbucks with with another brother and we were having an appointment and you know, he got his beverage right away and you know, he's enjoying his handcrafted beverage (laughs) and mine wasn't ready yet. Three minutes. He's enjoying his, "Mm, it's good. Right? I'm like, dude, it's been five minutes. Right? And so I'm like, you know, you know, what, what's the deal here? Why is it taking them so long? I got similar drink. Why did he get his and I didn't get mine? So I get up and I walk to the counter and I say, excuse me, I ordered a, you know, whatever it was. Oh, yeah, it'll be right there. I'll, I'll bring it to you. Just give us a minute. Good. Sit down I'll bring it to you. And I was, I was annoyed. I'm confessing, okay? I'm confessing. I'm being open with you guys. I was, I was like, why is this taking so long? But when I think about that, guys, I have to go, do you know how much we take for granted? Somebody, somebody's preparing a beverage for me, a hot, delicious beverage. Some of you are going to go to Starbucks after this because you're, <laughs> you're <like> already thinking. <laughs> but, you know, let's, let's change the story. Maybe it's a restaurant. Do you realize what you have that somebody brings it out on a tray and, and they bring it out to you and they prepare it for you. And it's, it's got the little, the little uh, sprinkle vegetables on it. So it looks nice and they put it in front of you and it's warm and it's good and it's ready. And you've got your silverware here and your napkin here and your beverage here. And you're like, it's put right there in front of you. Somebody serves you. Somebody prepares, you know, in the old days. You had to kill the animal, take the hair off of it, clean it. And then if you had any appetite after that, then you would cook it and eat it. You had to do everything for yourself. You had to prepare stuff. And do you realize that in five minutes, we can go down the street here and get, you know, something made to order. Someone prepares it for you. They put the mayonnaise, the pickles, the lettuce. They, They get the fries and they just go, here you go you realize what that is? And we get annoyed because it takes a couple extra minutes. What's that? Entitlement. It's entitlement. Because we're so used to it, we say, and the question is, are you, are you the one and most people, most people are not, are not grateful. You see it all the time, especially during this silly season. I mean, it's crazy. So today we're going to look at two examples really briefly. I'd encourage you to go back and read it yourself. I, I highly recommend, re- recommend you read the New Testament because some of, the, some of the parables, some of the stories are incredible. You learn so much about life. You're not going to get this anywhere else. You're not going to address these issues that could change your outlook on life. I mean, you can wake up tomorrow morning and if you're entitled, it's gonna be a dark, gray day. But if you're grateful, guess how your outlook will be? Guess how your relationships will be? Guess how your trouble and your challenges will be? You will find the blessing. But it's not most people. So here's the first one we're gonna look at. We're gonna look at two examples, and here's the condition of the first one. Okay, and I want you to say it with me now, together. I want it now. OK, now you're good at this. You're really good at this. So say it with me. I want it when? I want it when? Now. I want it when? Now. Whoa. You, you guys need some work. I trapped you. Here's the deal. We're going to look at this this, this is a huge problem in us, you and me. We're going to look at a parable of two sons. And Jesus shared this parable on purpose. Two sons. And both of them had a problem with entitlement. The first son, let's look at at him. in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. It says here, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, give me my share of the estate. What's that? I want it when? Now. Typically in society, even today, you don't get an inheritance until when? Somebody's got to die. You can't get it in before. You, that, that's, that's not the way it works. You never do this. this. This is awful that he would even ask for it, that he would even consider it. Nobody does this. Right? I want it now. And so here's the craziest thing, the craziest thing about this story, this parable that Jesus shared. So he divided it. And it's a reflection. It's a parallel of God, how he is with us. This, this, this son should have got a smack for even asking it. He should have been thrown out on the street. But what does the father do? Here you go. What took him his whole life to accumulate, and you read the rest of the story, I encourage you to go back and read the rest of the story. I'll, I'll kind of tell it. He goes with this Massive wealth, and what does he do with it? He goes to Vegas. He has cocktail parties with DJs, with ladies. I mean, huge. He, it's a, in a matter of weeks, maybe months, it's all gone. The whole lot of it is gone. He blew it. What took his father, maybe his whole life, maybe even his grandfather, some of the wealth that his grandfather accumulated, he spent it in a few weeks, a few months. So what is this? I want it now. Can we relate? Let me take you back in time to something. I mean, you're not even going to believe it when I say it because it's so, so like way back and, you know, it's, 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 it's unbelievable. But there was a time, there was a time, a long time ago, when, when you wanted to buy something, you had to wait. Say say it with me. You had to wait. wait. No, really, if you wanted to buy a car, you could not, you could not purchase it on credit. You had to wait. That television, whatever it was, you had to wait until you had the money. Your grandparents did it. They never, they didn't have credit in those days. You had to wait before you buy buy something. Purchases were made with cash. There's still, there's still a few weird, strange people who do that. But that's the way it used to be, that they would have to wait. How about today? Do you wait? Put that up there. Thanksgiving and, okay, we got, check it out. We got Thanksgiving. You sit down and you have a meal and, oh, I'm so grateful. My family. What time is it? What time is it? At 5 p.m., they're opening the stores at this place. Remember that? Okay. At eleven, whatever store they're opening. And you gotta get there early so you can get in line. And then at midnight, they're doing this this Thanksgiving. They're gonna they're gonna have the Black Friday, not even Friday anymore. They've moved it up. You don't have to wait till Friday, it's Thursday. I mean they're gonna they're gonna have the sale like right during your meal and you know what they'll maybe do? They'll have the meal for you, and you have your shopping cart and eat your Thanksgiving meal while you're shopping. That's how crazy it could get. But here's a day set aside for Thanksgiving, and you eat and you're you're with your family, and then all you can think about is what? I want it now. It's not Christmas. Oh yeah, well, I'm gonna go shopping for my friends and for gifts for other people. No, you're not, dude. You're gonna get that flat screen or you're gonna get that thing because it's so heavily discounted. You gotta have it when. Are you gonna pay for it with what? If you're in debt, if you're in debt with any credit card with anything, guess what your problem is. I want it now. That's you. That's us. That's our society. I want it now. And you look at kids, and this is a huge problem with kids today, is they want something that they don't have to wait for. They want the latest smartphone. Sorry, guys. They want the latest technology. For me, I didn't get a phone until, I don't know, it, it was I was 30 or 35. I didn't have them until then, But, but you you know, I see people walking around with these incredible phones, and I'm looking at my phone, and I go, i got to wait." But now, kids today, dude, they got it all? They got the, the top-of-the-line stuff that you as an adult would, and who gave it to them? Who's providing this? Latest and greatest. And then you got the young professionals. They want to have the house, the car that their parents have. They want to live at that level, the townhome. But they're not ready for that. They just started in the workforce. But they're already setting themselves up. I want it now. And, they, and they, they accumulate this huge debt. That's this syndrome right here. So you and I have to put the brakes on. Now let's look at the second one. Here's the second one. Okay, this is the second son. Okay? So say it with me. I deserve more. Okay, now, you, we're good at this. Okay? We're really good. So let's say it together like we mean it. I deserve more. How much? More. I have a lot, but I need more. This is the second son of the two sons. Let's, let's look at him. In verse 29, read, read the story. It's incredible. I mean, you go back and you think the, son, the younger son, he goes broke, and he comes back home, and the father's merciful. They have a big party. It's a barbecue, and there's food for everybody. I mean, it's like this huge celebration. It's a coming home. It's a, it's a reality check, and his heart's changed, his life's changed, and he learned his lesson. But the big brother hears all the commotion, and look what he says to his dad. But he answered, Father, look, all these years I've been slaving. Now, was he really slaving? All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat. You know what they had? Steak. For the younger brother, they got the fine prime, and he never got a goat. So... I could celebrate with my friends. What's his problem? I deserve more. I deserve more. I deserve more means you're not grateful for what you have. And you're always looking over your shoulder thinking somebody has it better than you do. And you're not happy about it. You got your really nice car that runs really well. Maybe it's five years old, but it's getting a little dusty, you know, and it's, it's not as quite, it doesn't have that new car smell, you know? And so you're already thinking about, man, I want to get this car because it, I can plug my iPhone or my iPod or, you know, it has, it has, it has, you know, internet radio, I could get internet radio on the car it has a GPS already installed in it. It's got all these bells and whistles and it's got, you know, all these different things, the latest and greatest technology. I want that. Even though you're at the top four, three or 4% of the world that has your own transportation. I need more. You look at your house and you go in your house and you go, this is a small house. I need more. You know, you look at your job and you go, not happy with this. I need more. I need better. I need the latest. I need an upgrade. Think about it. And this stuff, this stuff is just spoon-fed to us, and we buy it, and we he didn't get here, you know, just by coincidence, he fed it. And so we're gonna wrap things up. I want to evaluate. I want you to do an evaluation of your 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 life in two areas. Next week, Mike's going to do the second part. We're talking about today your relationship with God. That's right. That you're thankful to God. And you say, well, I don't know if I know God that well. Hey, let me tell you. He has done incredible things in your life, and you need to let him know, and you need to be aware of it and express it and take it into consideration. So evaluate your heart. And the first area is material and financial. Material and financial. How do you do that? Do you know what you have? Do you know about your health? I mean, you... you and, and, and there was a brother this past week. Uh, he's on our prayer list, and you need to pray for him. Rudy Arona. You know? He had an epiphany this week. You know why? Because his heart rate went from... He had you know an appendectomy, and his heart rate during the surgery jumped to 200 and stayed there after the surgery. So it was like cardiac arrest. I mean, it was serious. And it stayed, then it dropped a little bit, but stayed about 140. You know what it takes to get me to get up to 140 on a, on a treadmill or a bike or something? It takes work to get to 140. And he was there. And he could have died this past week. He's 30-something, 40 years old. And he shared... I had an epiphany because my life was almost over just this last week. Are you grateful that you get today? You go home and you you see your kids and you you go in your house and whatever house it is, you get in your car and you just sit in your car and you go, man, this is awesome. I know it's dirty, but it's awesome. I got to clean it. This is awesome what I have. You know, maybe maybe you sit with your 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 young children and say, you know what? We are so awesome. We got so we got so good. We are blessed. And financially, do you realize that we are the richest one of the richest nations in the world? You go to an ATM, and there are ATMs everywhere, and you can have cash money in your hand in a second. And your job. You know, and I realize there's a few people, that don't have. most of us have a job. I mean, you can get a job. Maybe it's not what you want, but you can. There, there are jobs out there. There's opportunity everywhere. Are you grateful for that? If there's any area, just check the box. Check the box. I need to work at this. I got to work on this. And if you need a little help, ask somebody you're close to, and you say, ask them, honestly, hey, give me the goods. Am I a grateful person? person. Would you just say it overflows? And if they're your good friend, and if they're honest, they are going to say, you need some work. I could ask my wife today. I know what she said. You need some work. Because I do. We do. Guys, we need some work. We need to give thanks. And then the second area is evaluate our hearts. Circumstantial. Circumstantial. This means the situation, the lot in life you've been given. Your job, relationships that you have or don't have, if you're single, well, I want this, I don't have a relationship, your hair, you have hair, you know, <laughs> color your hair, you know what I mean? There's just people getting a, they getting a knot over the, the weirdest things, okay? You go, you go into your closet, and you ever, I don't know if you've ever done this, but you go in your closet and you look at, through the closet and you go, I have nothing to Who bought the clothes in the closet? (laughs) I mean, there's literally people in our world, guys. This is where we lack perspective. There's literally people in our world with no clothes right now. In the Philippines, no water right now. No electricity. No clothes. They're, They're in basic survival need with their hand out. If you don't help me, I won't make it. Think about what you have. Think about your lot in life. Your parents, my parents, they annoy the tar out of me all day long. They never leave me alone. They annoy me. Whoa. Do you know what you have? Maybe maybe you don't you don't have parents, but you've got family. You got family, you got friends, you got people who care about you. Isn't that awesome? Are you grateful for that? And so if there's any area, circumstantial, if there's any area in your life, check the box and say, I need to work on this. How do we work on this? How do we do it? I want to encourage you to cultivate an attitude of gratitude. Cultivate an attitude of gratitude. (laughs) How do I do that? How do I cultivate an attitude of gratitude? Turn every blessing into praise and thanksgiving. Turn every blessing, whatever it is, the small ones, the big ones, whatever it is, turn it into praise. Remember, what praise means is I thank you, God, for this blessing. People say it in passing, but it needs to be an overflow. Thank God. Thank God for what I have. And mean it. Let it overflow. This this attitude turns into thanks living. Forget about thanksgiving. Let's talk about thanks living. Do you know what a blessing it'll be if you buy into and train yourself to be a thanks liver? Somebody who lives gratefully. It's huge. God wants us to take that into perspective. And you know this. There are people out there that have so much You look at them and they got the car, the house, the everything. They load it. And you look at them and you go, they're not grateful. They're not grateful at all. They're unhappy. And you know why? Because they don't turn. Every blessing that you don't turn into thanksgiving and praise, guess what happens? Every blessing that doesn't turn back, that you don't turn back into praise, turns into what? Pride. Turns into pride. I got this. And it's not until it's stripped away, the epiphany moment, that you almost lose everything that you go, oh my gosh. You know, I remember the day that one of our children got lost in a shopping center in Mexico. Oh, children get kidnapped in Mexico all the time in shopping centers. It happens. Even if it was for a minute, even if it was two minutes, the panic that arises, then when you get your child, and you go, thank you, God. That he just wandered off or she wandered off. Thank you, God. Why not do that on the front end? Train yourself. And this is a passage that helps us. Paul talked about this. He says it this way. He says in verse 14 of Philippians 4, for i have learned to be content with whatever circumstances i know what it is to be in need i know what it is to have i know what it what it is to have plenty i have learned the secret of being content in every situation it doesn't come naturally what did paul have to do he had to learn and train it's going to take work for us it's not going to come naturally i'm not i am not a naturally grateful Praise and thanksgiving person. I am not. It takes work. And we need to help each other with that. And we need to find ways and things to thank God for every day. Put little signs up and, you know, scripture memory, that kind of thing. And if you're a guest here, there's no better way to work on this than studying the Bible with the person that invited you. Let them them show you scriptures that can help you Get it on straight. It was a game changer for me, that whole thing. So it's something that we have to learn, and I want to encourage you to learn how to do this. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to come overflowing. Here's a proverb for us in this area, and then we'll wrap it up. All the days of the oppressed are wretched, but the cheerful heart has a continual feast. A grateful person, guess what they, that's what they have? They feast on life. It's like buffet every day. You're always walking into the blessing, because you are, have a cheerful heart. You have a grateful heart. It's like, man, life is good, life is awesome. And well, I'm going through a problem. Yes, but your problem's not as bad as whose problem? Boy, this helps me all the time. I may have problems. I might have drama, I may have stress, I may have stuff that's going on. I'm like, Oh, I don't know if I can do this anymore. But I go, wait a minute. At least I'm not there. Right? And I have it pretty good. That will cultivate a continual feast. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. And the root of this, the root of this, this proverb is, comes from a grateful heart to God. You know, and I get this every time I go to Mexico City. We were just there a couple weeks ago. We went to a very poor remote area of Mexico, and I'm just there with the people. We're there there for hours and we're talking with them, eating with them, and, and I'm just noticing, you know what, these people are happy. They don't have a lot. They live in a you know, they live in a really small house in a remote area. They drive, you know, an hour, hour and a half to work on a public transportation every day. And they're happy people. So happy to see us and so much overflow and gratitude. And I I I go walk away from that and I go, why am I not more like them? I got so much. I got to work on this. And so it's not whether you have or have not really matters with what's going on here. And I would encourage you, if you get the chance, go on one of those mission trips, one of those medical brigade trips, and spend some time with those people, and you will learn something. You'll come away. We're going to take the communion now. And this is what Jesus said when he brought this moment. Guess what was the first thing he did when he celebrated the communion for the first time. It was the Passover, but it was, had a whole new significance. Guess what he did? It says here in verse 17. After taking the cup, he did what? He gave thanks. It's the first thing that Jesus did in the communion. What are you going to do? What's the first thing you're going to do today in the communion? Instead of saying, God, I need help. God, I got this situation. God, Stop and give thanks. Guess what he was about to do within 24 hours of this phrase? Guess what he was about to go through? Hell. He was about to be beaten, insulted, arrested, whipped, beaten some more, drained of his blood, thorny crown on his head, and nailed to a cross and died by suffocation. And he knew it. Even still, even still, he gave thanks. Because he knew the significance of what this would do for us. And so what we're going to do right now is remember what Jesus did for us. And I want you to remember the significance of what he went through for you that he was willing to give his body and his blood and pour it out. Let's read what he said. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink it again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body. Given for who? For me and you. Do this in remembrance of me and what I did for you. And then he says, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying this, this is the cup of a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. All of us got problems. But let me tell you your greatest possible blessing. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a blessing. And guess what that blessing is? Jesus. Jesus and the new beginning that you get. Because, see, you know, the leopards, they got their skin cleaned. They got their skin renewed, right? It was the outward. Guess what you get? You know that disease that you have inside of you, the edge, the anger, the the, 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 whatever it is that you brought here today, whatever you did this past week, the guilt, whatever it was, guess what Jesus is willing to do for you for that? Cleanse you. Wash you make you new. Remember that. Because all your other problems compared to that problem, not that big. So let's pray for the communion. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you, God, that he gave his life. He took and risked everything, leaving heaven and coming here and walking among us and being patient with us and teaching us and helping us and loving us. And then to end it all, he died for us. He took the punishment that we deserve, God. Every single one of us deserved to be punished for the things that we've done. Yet you took that punishment and you exacted it on your son for us. God, we pray that you'll forgive us for our lack of gratitude. Forgive us for the spirit of I want it now and I want more. I deserve more. God, we don't deserve anything. We deserve a lot, but not what you've given us. You have blessed us. Father, thank you for Jesus' body and blood that give us a new start. And I I pray that you'll wash us and and renew us and give us a new new lease on life so we can be grateful. And first and foremost, grateful to you. And we can take everything we have and make it a blessing and, and, and a way and turn it into praise, not pride. We love you. Thank you. Bless this communion. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.